0: Hello, and welcome to Things I Wish Someone Told Me About God with Eric Green, author, producer, songwriter, recording artist, and senior pastor of the Father's House in Eugene, Oregon. I'm your host, Cody Willis, and I'll be facilitating this podcast and interviewing Pastor Eric on a variety of topics pertaining to our walk with God the ministry of the gospel, and the practical outworking of our lives in Jesus Christ. So, thank you for joining us for a lively discussion that we hope challenges and inspires you to think more deeply and biblically about your relationship with God and men. Most importantly, Pastor Eric believes we should all be learning more and more about our God, because he has a beautiful purpose and a plan for you. today's episode, The Cross is not the end of anything, it's the beginning of everything. I'm here with Pastor Eric Green of The Father's House in Eugene, Oregon. And Pastor, before we dive into the topic of today's discussion, I just want to address something that perhaps our listeners have noticed as they've tuned into our show, and that is the Word of God, or the volume of Word in which we discuss, because I believe it's foundational in order for conversations like this to be possible. And I know it's the foundation upon which ministry goes forth in the Father's house. So can you just talk about the significance of the Word, Pastor? Everything that you and I say, Cody, if it's going to have eternal value,
1: must be rooted and grounded in the Word of God. I don't believe we can be close to God to know what we need to know about God or to operate in the things of the Spirit without a ever-deepening relationship with God in his word. The Bible says that Jesus Christ is the word of God. In other words, he's the only thing God has to say to us. He is a message and messenger, capital M, of God. And so everything that I share and everything that we share together needs to be rooted and grounded and, once again, able to be tested according to chapter and verse in God's word.
0: And we just want to encourage you, if you're listening to us, to continue these conversations. So for starters, you can find a list of every scripture that we either directly quote or reference in the course of our conversations in the episode descriptions. And also, it would mean a great deal to us if you would visit us on Facebook or Instagram at twistmagpod, that's T-I-W-S-T-M-A-G pod, and just leave a comment on what it is that you heard, what it is that you're continuing to hear as you continue these conversations with the Lord. It would mean a great deal to us. So, Pastor, let's dive into the topic of today's discussion. We're discussing the cross. And, Pastor, I'm just, I'm just struck by the fact that the reality of the cross is a stark one. I'm struck by the fact that the reality of the cross is death, is it not?
1: Let me say this first is foundational that uh, I believe there are three types of people in the world and they all have to do with their relationship to the cross of Jesus Christ. The first type is the man, the woman, the child who has never, ever come to God according to the cross. In other words, they're not saved. And they don't have a relationship with God according to his son, Jesus Christ, and his life, his his ministry, and his sacrifice. That's one group. The second group is those who have come to God on his terms. And once again, his terms is the man, Jesus Christ. And the third group is those who have come to God on his terms and are going on with God on his terms. And all of those have to do with the cross how we see it, how we receive the message that God has given to us according to the cross of Jesus Christ. That is the determining factor in who we are, the determining factor in how we live, and the determining factor of our eternity.
0: So, Pastor, I just want to talk about those terms. Jesus says in John chapter 14, verse 6, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Can you just talk about Really, um, the narrowness of those terms,
1: yeah, one of the things I wish Cody uh, someone had told me about God is that this life has to be done his way, or it's not done at all. My Christianity, uh, my life with Christ has to be conducted once again according to the revelation of God in the Word of God. And uh, God speaks to everyone that he calls to himself as sons and daughters. He leads us in the way we ought to go according to the word. He corrects us and to keep us on the path according to the word. And you and I can always be very, very sure of our standing in God according to what's revealed to us in the word. And everything in the word points us to the man, Jesus Christ, and his cross, and then points us to our lives according to that cross, our cross. And let's dig a little deeper here, because perhaps, Cody, the true symbol of Christianity is not the cross, but the empty tomb. Think about it. Jesus gave his life. He is the ultimate sacrifice. He is the only acceptable sacrifice to the Father if he's going to receive us, because his shed blood is the price that was paid for you and I to receive salvation and to walk in relationship with the Holy God. But if things had ended on the cross, then where would we be? If Jesus had not risen from the dead, where would we be? We too would be dead. And the cross would be a continual, continual reminder of the fact that Satan was the victor and death was our ultimate destination. But Jesus rose from the dead therefore is the empty tomb that really is the symbol. If there is a symbol of Christianity, that's what it is. And that's the realization that you and I have to embrace if we're going to walk forward in understanding and wisdom in the things God is revealing to us in Christ.
0: Amen, Pastor. So I want to come back to that topic of the empty tomb and and, and really spend some time there. But first, I want to talk about just the tragedy of the cross. I want to talk about how painful and and stark a reality is that we all must face. It says in, in Matthew, the 27th chapter, starting in verse 45, From the sixth hour there was darkness over all the land until the ninth hour. And about the ninth hour, Jesus cried out with a loud voice, saying, Eli, Eli, lima sabachthani. That is, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? This is perhaps one of the hardest scriptures to read, Pastor, um, at least for me. I'm just confronted with the fact that, that this death is horribly, horribly tragic, and I don't think that death itself is something that we're ever really going to become comfortable with, is it?
1: No, it isn't. Um, death is a stark reality, an unavoidable reality for all of us, and that's because the wages of sin is death. And each and every one of us, from our father and mother, Adam and Eve, right down to the man in the mirror, is a sinner. And there is no going back on that. There's no undoing what was done. But thank God for what he did. In response to our failure, he succeeded on our behalf in Jesus Christ. Now, we don't talk about death a lot. In the book of Ecclesiastes, Solomon says that, that that we talk about all kinds of things, but we don't consider death the way we ought to. Because one thing for sure is death is an inevitability for each and every one of us, and each and every one of us needs to be prepared for it. And uh, having having lost loved ones, um, I have some personal understanding, which all of us are going to have before our time is over, of what it means uh, to deal with the reality of death. There's no making friends with it. So we're not here to make friends with death. We're here to deal with the reality of death and be prepared for it. And that's what the word of God does for us. That's what God gives us in Jesus Christ so that we can say, as the scripture teaches, oh, death, where is your sting? Because at the end of the day, even death was put to death when Jesus Christ gave his life for us on the cross. And when we die, we don't pass out of existence. We move to a higher place, a place where Only those who are called to relationship with God in Christ can come, a place where there is unbroken relationship and fellowship with the living God who is holy and demands holiness from us. That holiness is found in His Son, Jesus Christ, and is paid for by His sacrifice
0: on the cross. So, Pastor, back to the point of our conversation today, which is the cross is not the end of anything. It's the beginning of everything. You mentioned the empty tomb a moment ago, and I'm reminded of the women who came looking for Jesus after his passing, and they were confronted, the Scripture says, by a man in shining clothes who asked them a question, and he said, Why are you looking for the living among the dead? Can we just talk about how profound of a statement that is, and not just as it pertains to where we're looking for Christ, but as it pertains to us personally as well. Uh, You're right, Cody. It does pertain to us personally. If we're alive in
1: Christ, then if anyone were to look for us where we perhaps once were in our lives, they would not find us because we've risen from that place to, to be with Jesus in the place where he is. The Bible says that, that we are seated in heavenly places with God. Now, we know that our feet are firmly here on earth for a certain amount of time, but the Scripture speaks to us in the Spirit and teaches us that even though that we're here, we are also our reality, the way that we see things, the way we reason things, and, and the way God reasons, we are very, very much present with him in heaven now these things are received and walked in and understood by faith, and and it it also works out in the practicalities of our life because you and I now have victory in places where we once had defeat. Uh, you and I are not found where we used to be we have found where Jesus is. And I always say to, to my friends that if you're looking for me, I'm the easiest person in town to find because you just find the prayer closet or you find the altar and there I will be. That's where I believe God's children should be found, uh, with God, where he is. And everywhere we go, there's a reality of Jesus Christ and there's a reality of those of us who have picked up our cross and who follow him daily, step by step, conversation by conversation. Um, that's what I think is important when it comes to our witness, and that's what I think is important when it comes to understanding what it is to be alive where we once were dead.
0: Pastor, you you just mentioned um, picking up our cross, and it says in Luke chapter 9, verse 23, If anyone would come after me, this is Jesus, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily, and follow me, for whoever would save his life Will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. You mentioned earlier, Pastor, that there are three types of people in this world, and I'm hoping we can just unpack this a little bit, and you can just share on what it looks like to move on from Jesus on the cross to picking up and carrying my own cross.
1: Yes, Cody, that, that is the question that Each and every one of us is going to confront and be confronted with what does it mean for me to pick up my cross and follow Jesus? I want to go back to one of these essential conversations Jesus had with the man we call the rich young ruler who uh, asked Jesus uh, what did he need to do to be perfect? And Jesus told him, well, obey the law of Moses. And he said, the young man said, well, I've been doing this since the time I was a child. Uh, What more do I need? Because he sensed in his spirit that there was something more. And he was right. And Jesus told him to go sell everything that he had and give it to the poor and then come follow him. And he would have treasures in heaven. And the scripture says the young man went away sorrowful because that really called him to a place that he was uncomfortable with because he was a young man of great riches. The truth is that we all are young men and young women of great riches. We all have free will. We all have the opportunity to determine how we live our lives, uh, where we go, what we do, how we do the things that we do. We have a great deal to say about how our lives are lived, but Jesus calls us to lay down our lives and to give him say, on how we live. And I wish someone had told me that, that uh, my life in Christ is is not just a, a life of victory and blessing and breakthrough and, and circumstance to circumstance. It really is a life of laying down my life that I might receive the life that he has for me. You see, this doubtful that God is ever going to fill someone who's not empty. It is doubtful that God can heal someone who doesn't acknowledge their sickness. It's doubtful that God can save anyone who doesn't acknowledge their sin. So God calls us to lay down our own way of doing and seeing and understanding things and pick his up. That is a totally different way than any of us would live where we're not confronted by the words of Jesus Christ that tells us if we're going to follow him, we have to follow no other not even ourselves. We have to lay down our rights to ourselves, our right to be right and our right to be first, because all of those rights are given over to him when we say, yes, Jesus, yes, I will follow you.
0: Pastor, something I've heard you say more times than I can count is somebody's got to die. And I know you don't say those words lightly, Pastor, and I don't receive them as such. Something I wish somebody would have told me sooner is that this is not a one-time thing. The Bible tells us that the reproofs of discipline are the way of life. And even as I consider the conversation you just mentioned with the rich young ruler, I'm reminded that as much as I used to be afraid of conversations like that, spiritually speaking, this is life to me now. And so, Pastor, I'm just hoping you can talk about really what it means to embrace this reality, to embrace those words, somebody's got to die, to embrace your own cross. Because once again, as you mentioned earlier, It's not the end of anything, but our reality is the empty tomb and the fact that Jesus conquered death.
1: Yes, Cody, I remember thinking about the Christian life uh, as a young Christian, and I thought of it so often in terms of what I had to give up if I was going to to be saved, if I was going to live a holy life. And so I thought in terms of uh, not being able to do this, not being able to do that, not being able to wear this, not being able to wear that, uh, not being able to say this, not being able to say that. It was sometime in, in walking with God and fellowshipping with him in the word that I realized that it's not the prohibitions, the things that I don't do that make me a, a child of God, but the things that I now am free to do. Uh, Jesus said, whom the Son has set free is free indeed. And what he was speaking of, freedom from the overarching, controlling Uh, condemning power of sin and death. And that's huge. And, And it does take some time and perhaps years of walking with God in his word and in obedience to begin to understand and appropriate that freedom, that freedom to be and do according to all God calls us to be. So when I say someone has to die, Uh, What I mean about that is the stark reality that as a man, if I'm going to follow the man Jesus Christ, I'm going to have to to grow up. I'm going to have to put away childish things. I'm going to have to put away selfish things, my own way of seeing and doing things, my own way of seeing God and doing this Christian life. I had to put it away and to receive his ways. And that is the incessant, uh, tireless work of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit will never relent until I am in agreement with God on everything Every point, every single point of importance when it comes to how I live and how I think. So that means that I'm going to have to give up my right to how I live and how I think. And no matter how good I think what I'm doing is or what I'm thinking is, it's incumbent upon me to test all of that against the word of God. It's incumbent upon me to get with God and talk to him, especially about the things where I think I'm right, especially about the things where I think I'm doing the will of God and to allow him to test me and to test those things so that they measure up to the standard, which is Jesus Christ. And that is a perfect standard. I'm also reminded that God is not looking for perfection from me. I'm not saying that if I do that well, I'll reach a point where I'm thinking and doing everything well and I don't need God like I did at one point. The truth is, is what I realize is I need him more and more. God is not looking for perfection from me. He already has perfection and he has it in Christ. What he's looking to find is to find me in Christ. If I can keep that first and foremost in my walk with God, I'll walk in a way that's pleasing to him. I wish somebody had told me that.
0: So you said recently in one of your teachings, Pastor, all that is true is not the truth. Can you just expound on that as it pertains to the cross and the misconceptions of the cross? Jesus says,
1: I am the way, the truth, and the life. By the way, that is him declaring that he is God. He is the Son of God, and he is eternal God, just as the Father and as the Holy Spirit. Because no man can make a statement like that and uh, and it mean anything other than that, and the way that applies to me practically is that him being the truth when I want to speak about that in particular, him being the truth that means that every single thing that I look at and every single thing that you look at we can only accurately assess it according to the standard of Jesus Christ. We have to agree with Jesus and what he says and believes about every single thing if we're going to be walking. In the truth. Now, what I mean when I say that everything that is true is not the truth, the truth is superior to what is true, because the truth takes things into consideration beyond the facts. The truth takes things into consideration that only God has privy to. In other words, for instance, let's say the three of us, the four of us, were standing on four corners of a busy intersection, and we all witnessed a a car accident, and we all were looking at it. Now, when someone comes to us and asks for an assessment of what happened, and we all would give an assessment, and all of our assessments would be unique. Not because we saw something different, but we processed it differently, we saw it from different angles, and, and we would all give different details. And all of us, everything that we said, if we're, if we're recounting it accurately, would be true. But only God knows the whole truth about everything that had anything to do with that accident. God has a purview. He has a perspective that no one else has. And Jesus has a purview, a perspective of the Father and everything else and everyone else that has ever happened that we don't have. So therefore, he is the truth. The way that applies to me practically is that there are things that are true about me. It is true that I am a sinner deserving of death. It is true that I can do nothing without God. It is true that I can know nothing accurately and and accomplish nothing eternal without God. That's true. The truth is that Jesus died for me, gave his life for me, washed me with his blood, redeemed me, and I now stand in good stead with the heavenly father because of what Jesus has done. And when the Lord looks at me, he doesn't see me according to what I've done. He sees me. And those who love his son, according to what Jesus has done, that is the truth. It supersedes. It is a greater reality than that which is true. You see, it is true that I am dead in trespasses and sin. But the superior reality is, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world.
0: Pastor, that is really tremendous. So I want to stay here for a moment and and just continue to unpack this. So Jesus being the truth, the thing that jumps out at me about what you just said or what I'm hearing is that I need to ensure that I'm continuing the conversation with God because perhaps the Lord will reveal something to me that's true. But if I don't give it back to him, I may fall short of the full truth of what it is that he's showing me. Is is that not the case? That's absolutely the case. That's called
1: condemnation. If I don't walk with God uh, through every assessment that I make of myself, or if I let someone other than God make an assessment of who I am, then I will end up with sin and condemnation because all of us have sinned and fallen short of God's glory. And no matter how pristine the life, uh, you don't have to dig too deep before we find something that's unlike Christ, even in the best of us. And so we have to always go back to God according to his word, being in the house of God where we can hear his word faithfully preached, being among brothers and sisters who are hearing the word of God and walking in the word of God that is faithfully preached and taught, being in the fellowship of believers, being in the closet of prayer where God can speak to us as we speak to him. This is so important so that we are rightly assessing who we are according to his word and not according to anyone else's word and assessment, but what he says about me. What he says about you, what he says about his church, that's what matters. And that's the fight we have to fight to to get out of our own heads, to get the world out of our heads and to get to the feet of Jesus Christ. There we find the fellowship and the oneness with God that he offers us in Jesus, who himself is the way, the truth and the life.
0: Thanks so much for joining us for this episode of Things I Wish Someone Told Me About God. We hope you found this discussion stimulating and enjoyable as well as uplifting. So much so that you'll tell a friend or two and listen in again. Pastor Eric and I will be back with the next episode shortly. Until then, may God bless and strengthen you in your walk with Him. On behalf of Pastor Eric, I'm Cody Willis praying God's best for you.